0: morning everybody so here's a question you probably don't expect to hear in church are you a good lover no raising of hands no nodding everybody's just that's my that's my goal for us as a church that we become known as a church of good lovers In fact, uh, it would be awesome, wouldn't it, if when uh, people heard the word lover they thought not of Virginia, but hope. I think that would be kind of cool. So we're in a three-week series where we're talking about the most excellent way. It's a reference to the last verse of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians where Paul writes, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And that is then the beginning of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is the most profound description of the nature of the deepest kind of love that is experienced between human beings. We looked last week at Mark chapter 12, where Jesus is talking about what is most important? And the question he was asked at that time was, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing in in essence? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus began his answer to that question by saying, the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think when Jesus began that response, when he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you'll lo- you should love the Lord, in essence, with all you got, everyone who was around him... Because they were Jewish, were all nodding in agreement. This was a familiar passage for any faithful Jew. In fact, they refer to this this passage as the Shema, which is a Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's so foundational to the Jewish faith that they write it on a piece of paper, roll it up, and put it in a small uh, cylinder and affix it to the entrance of their homes. So the idea being it's the first thing Thing that you see as you come home, it's the last thing you see as you leave your home. This reminder of what it means to be a Jew. In fact, uh, Marilyn and I, when we were in Israel a couple of years ago, uh, we had the honor of being invited to the home of a rabbi uh, for Sabbath dinner. So our group uh, went to this apartment in downtown Jerusalem, and. Outside the apartment door, there was uh, that little cylinder with the Shema inside, and uh, so we went in, and we were, uh, you know, being shown around the apartment, and I noticed that there were those cylinders at every doorway within the apartment, and I asked about it, and he said, yes, because we want to be reminded of that, not just when we leave and when we come home, but throughout the entire time that we're in our home, that our call is to love God with all we've got. So it was very familiar, and we talked last week, what does it mean to love God with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength? But then what Jesus did next was would have been shocking. Because for the first time ever, Jesus combined that Shema, that familiar passage, that foundational statement with these words, and the second, he said, the second great commandment, is like the first. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And so in essence, he wove together into the very fabric of the faith, this new testament, this new covenant that says not only are we called to love God with all we got, but we are equally commanded to love neighbor and that was the first that that had been said you can't say that you love God and not love your neighbor it reminds me of uh, something Graham Keating my mom's mom used to say she had this little adage I'm sure she didn't make it up but I have never heard anybody else use it She used to say, love me, love my dog. Has anybody else ever heard that? Yeah, love me, love my dog. What I came to understand is what that means is, if you love me, you love all that comes along with me. You know, you you get the whole package. It's not just me in isolation. Love me, love even my mangy dog, you know? And so Jesus is saying, in essence, that's what God is saying, that if you love me, you love my dog. In this case, we're the dog, right? Love me, love what I created, who I created. You can't say that you love God and not love your neighbor as well. And so the question, of course, becomes then, well, so then who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus addresses that in, in, uh, specifically. And, and I'll get back to that at the end of the message. But scripture tells us there's, there's in essence three categories of people that we are in relationship that we are called to love. We are called to love our family right? Our blood relatives, those relatives through marriage. We're to love our family. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Parents, love your children. Children, love and respect your parents. We're to love our family members, right? Then we're called to love our brothers and sisters in faith, <clears> that there's a special call on us to love Those with whom we share faith and fellowship. And I'm going to look at that in just a minute. And then the third category is the love of what I would describe as the other. So other than your family, uh, your blood family, and your faith family, we're called to love others as well. Called to love the other. So I want to look at a passage of scripture with you. We just heard it read. Uh, It is from... Uh, the first letter of John, so not the Gospel of John, but if you're looking at the Bible, you keep going uh, uh, beyond the Gospels toward the end of the New Testament. There are these three letters from John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So we're looking at 1 John, the fourth chapter. And uh, so I'm going to be picking up at verse 15 and, uh, and going through verse 21, but I'm going to stop along the way and just highlight some things. So, and the words are on the screen. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. I wanna stop there for just a second. All those who declare that Jesus is the Son of God. So this is the first step in what it is to be a disciple to be a follower of Christ, that we declare that Jesus is the Son of God, that we are recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, that we're inviting Jesus to be the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you have never invited Jesus to be that for you, you've never acknowledged in your own mind or in your own heart in your own soul, that Jesus is the son of God and invited him to forgive your sin and to lead your life. It's a simple prayer. And I would encourage you and invite you to do that this morning. So that's the beginning of faith. And then it says, for those who do that, God lives in them. So we have God living in us. It's what, the, uh, what we understand now to be the Holy Spirit. It is the Life force of God living in those who put their faith in Christ. God's spirit literally lives in you. So then continuing on into uh, verse 18. Oh, no, I'm skipping. I'm 17. Verse 17 says... uh, It's right here. If we put our, uh, yeah. God is, I'm gonna get there in just a second. We know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. I want to read that again. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. So we have the spirit of God living in us. God is love. So we actually have the power of love living in us. God's perfect love living in us. And what John is saying is that that love, that spirit is growing in us. It's maturing in us. It's being perfected in us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said that the goal, in, in essence, the goal for us as Christ followers is to be made holy. Now, in our day and age, that word holy has a whole lot of negative connotations that have been uh, kind of put upon it, right? So when you hear the word holy, it it might be a negative word to you. You might be thinking that holy has to do with being pious and being out of touch with reality and, you know, kind of otherworldly. Or you may think of holier than thou, where somebody who is holy looks at themselves as superior and looks down their nose at anybody who is different than them, anybody who has a different thought or view or whatever than them and that's not the nature of holiness. So what Wesley said, taking from this passage of scripture that true holiness is being made perfect in love. Being made perfect in love. So let me ask you a question in all of the priorities and all of the goals that you have for your life, right? You've got professional goals, you may have academic goals, you may have fitness goals, uh, you may have financial goals. Of all of the goals that you have, is one of your goals to be made perfect in love? I mean, that's a goal. You know, your fitness goals, you know, that's, that's all fine. But here's the thing, you're going to die. You're gonna die. You may die with a six pack, but you're going to die. So what are the goals that you have that are the most significant? Not the ones that are just gonna, gonna get you through safely to the grave. But what are the enduring goals that you have that are going to leave behind a great legacy for those whose lives you touch and are going to be a reflection of our faith? This is a goal. I want my goal to be to be made perfect in love. We talk about here that disciple, to be a disciple means to be in the process of conforming to the image of Christ For the sake of others but to be conformed to the image of christ is being conformed in love because god is love great challenge very cool thing that we're called to do such love verse 18 such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear if we are afraid it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. So this idea of overcoming fear, the thing that keeps us from love is fear. One of the songs that's become a favorite song uh, over the last year or so is this song: "I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Right? I'm no longer a slave to fear. Fear is slavery, and so fear fear is a lack of love. I'm afraid of God means I haven't fully accepted His perfect love. I don't have to live in that fear." I don't have to wonder what's going to happen when I die. I don't have to be afraid of judgment, of God being disappointed, because when God looks at you, he sees within you the spirit of his son, the spirit of love. And so we are free to fully embrace God without fear. And likewise, we don't have to be afraid to love each other. I think that's one of the fears that we carry as well we're afraid to love each other because if i allow myself to love others i might be misused i might be misunderstood i might you know be uh, in some way abused taken advantage of if i really love fearlessly but perfect love casts all that out you know, um, years ago when, when uh, my boys were young, there was a, a family here and they had two young boys as well. A little bit older than my boys, but, but uh, you know, still very young. And I was talking to the mom at one point and she said, the, pray, the prayer that I pray for my kids every day as they go out of the house is, Lord, give them tough skin and tender hearts. Give them tough skin and tender hearts. I love that prayer, and that became my prayer for my sons as well. We need to have tough skin. The world is an abusive place. It certainly can be. The ways that we talk to each other and about each other, the things that we face as adults and what our kids face, um, where uh, words are used to tear them down and and reject them and so forth, all of that stuff— that can be so damaging and cause tender hearts to become hard hearts, that's what we want to protect our kids from. And that's what we need to be protected from as well. And so it is the spirit of God living in us that gives us that tough skin while maintaining a tender heart. So continuing on. If someone says, I love God, but hates their fellow believer. That person is a liar. Someone says, I love God, but hates their fellow believer. That person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he has given us this command Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So here John is talking specifically about one group of people that we are called to love. It's not family, it's not the other, it's the community of faith. And so he's offering a specific challenge that for those of us who have the Spirit of God living in us, we must learn to love each other. I call the church um, a love laboratory. Some people have said, you know, it sounds like a Barry White song, a love lab, you know. (laughs) It's not what I'm talking about. It's that place where we share a common faith, we share a common conviction, we share a common spirit, and we are being perfected in love. And it is in the context of community that we get to figure out how that works. And that when we get it wrong, we're not going to be castigated and cast out and and ripped apart and judged and so forth. When we get it wrong, there are going to be people around us who pick us up, who help us out, who give us um, information to help us get it right, to do it better. And so that's the nature of the church. That's how we're supposed to be encouraging each other and and helping each other along and inspiring each other. We're supposed to be emulating Christ. And we're in different places in our journey at different um, levels of faith and understanding. And so we're here to help and encourage each other in this process. That's what the church is about. It's not an hour on Sunday where we sing some songs, pray some prayers, and hear a talk. It's a community of faith learning what it means to be made perfect in love so that it builds people up and it expands the kingdom of God. We're called to love in the way that Jesus loved So what are are some of the ways that Jesus loved, some of the aspects of the love that Jesus had for people? Four that I would highlight real quickly. Jesus loved sacrificially. In fact, the very nature of the highest form of love is sacrificial. Uh, I came across a a quote from a book called um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Not that I'm interested in dating, um, but somebody here read it and, uh, so I came across this quote and I, I liked it. It says this, Christ taught that love is not for the fulfillment of self, but for the glory of God and for the blessing of others. True love is selfless. It gives, it sacrifices, it dies to its own needs. That's the nature of sacrificial love. Now picture this, picture loving somebody like that selflessly who in turn loves you that way. Now picture a community of people loving like that where Each one is looking out for the best interest of the other, while the others are looking out for your best interests. That's the nature of Christ-like love. If you have that kind of love in your marriage, man, you'll have such a deep and intimate uh, relationship. If we had that kind of love in the community, imagine the depth of community that we would have. Where I don't have to worry about myself. Other people are taking care of me, so I get to take care of others. It's a vision for what a community of love can look like. So he loved sacrificially. Jesus loved gracefully, he loved gracefully. In other words, he didn't offer love just to those who deserved his love, just to those who looked like him, thought like him, talked like him. His love was offered freely to anybody he encountered. It was graceful. A third aspect of his love was it was practical. He didn't love just in theory or in concept. He would do for others things that they that would actually help them, that would show them a tangible expression of love. And the fourth thing is he loved wisely. He loved wisely. He didn't just do for people the things that they asked him to do. Jesus knew what somebody really needed beyond what they may even ask for. And those were the things that he would seek to address in his expression of loving for them. So, with that in mind, I've got three questions I want you to contemplate over the next several days. It's like a homework assignment. So you might want to jot these down, or you know, if you're a techie, you can just take a picture on the screen, because the questions are actually going to be up on the screen. Or you can just completely ignore them. <laughs> so the first question, in what way... Do I demonstrate love for the people of Hope Church? In what way do I, you, demonstrate your love for the people of this community of faith that you're a part of? You don't have to be a member, right? But how do you express the love of God in this place? Second question. How do I see people of hope express their love for each other in tangible ways? So how do you see others expressing love for others in this place? What things do you see? What stories have you heard? What examples can you think of where you see tangible expressions of people loving each other in this place? And then uh, third question to to kick around in your mind or with others. Are there additional ways that I could be expressing love for my hope community? Are there additional ways that I could be expressing my love for the hope community? What could I be doing uh, in the coming year to further express my love for the community, for people here at Hope Church. So, we're called to love God first. And because God loves us, we can love each other. And we love each other in Christ like ways. We love God, we love our family, we love the community of faith, and then there's one other thing. Um, and so I'm gonna share this, with a, the band is gonna come up and uh, they're gonna close us out with a song. Um, so you guys can come up and I'll just do that down here. So in Luke chapter 12, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus was asked the question, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He gave the same answer that we just heard about that. Uh, was recorded in Mark, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody in the crowd, it was a lawyer, just saying, said, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus shared a parable, a story. It's a story that has become known as the Good Samaritan. You may know the story, right? A guy uh, is uh, left beaten and bloodied by the side of the road, having been robbed. And two religious people see him and cross on the other side of the road and pass him by. But the third guy who comes by, a Samaritan, sees him, tends to his wounds gets him up on his donkey, takes him into town, gets him into a place where he's going to receive additional care, pays the person who's going to give the care, and says, and on my way back, I'll stop again to see how he's doing, and if there's additional costs, I'll pay that as well. What is so fascinating is Jesus didn't answer the question, who is my neighbor? Instead, he described what it means to be a neighbor. This is what it means, this is what it looks like to love as a neighbor. And what's so fascinating is it's a description of how Jesus loved. It was sacrificial, it was graceful because Samaritans and this this person, this Jewish person who's been beaten up, were enemies. There was no love between Samaritans and Jews. And so it didn't matter to this Samaritan who this person was. His love went beyond that. It was practical in its, in its expression, and it was wise. So Jesus doesn't answer the question. Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Instead, he calls us to be people filled with the spirit of love who express it in tangible ways to all those that we encounter. So there's a New Year's resolution for you. 2019, I want to be made perfect in love. Eh, maybe not 19, right? It's a process. It's a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. We're in that process. But the spirit of God, the spirit of love is dwelling in you, maturing you in love. And as we overcome our fear of God and each other, it frees us up to love the way that Jesus loved. Knowing, friends, that when we do, the Lord will bless us and keep us, and the Lord will make his face to shine upon us, and the Lord will be gracious to us today and forever. Amen. Have a great week.